0: Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Uh, But man, these next nights, just as Pastor Earl has already laid the foundation for, and as, uh, you know, being your pastor, I know what I have prepared you for. You know that we have set you uh, in expectation of gifts, not men and women. Amen. And he gave gifts unto men, not a man or a woman. And I tell you right now, any of us just in our natural ability alone, we're no good to you. It's the anointing that you're drawing on. It's the anointing you're pulling on. It's the anointing that enables us to do what we're going to do this week. And um, I'm I'm just so honored and glad uh, for these conferences Um, and the power that they bring. We've been a part of these in St. Augustine, Florida. Obviously, this is our second one here now, which is amazing. Uh, And then we did Fort Walton Beach at Pastor Roddy's church earlier this year, and I think that was May, right? We were up there in May. Um, And so just an awesome time getting to go from church to church, empowering people to rise in their kingdom identity, arise in their kingdom purpose, and Pastor Earl is absolutely right. The, the whole reason we're doing these conferences is because we're having to retrain an entire culture of believers of what the kingdom life is really all about. I remember um, in 2009, June of 2009, Pastor Earl uh, came back from a conference he had attended, heard a man speak along the lines of the kingdom in a way that we had, he had never heard. Before And, you know, the story he tells, sitting on the edge of his seat, couldn't find enough paper, couldn't write fast enough, went and bought every single book that the guy had out in the foyer, read them all within that night or that weekend. I mean, you cleaned them out pretty good, pretty quickly, came back uh, pregnant with and and stirring with this message has got to get out. And I remember for about June, July, October. June, July, I just skipped a bunch of months. June, July, August, September, October. For those months, I struggled with the message. It's that uh, confronting, confrontational to really just basic Christian beliefs especially for Christians in the United States of America. It, it, it comes against two things uh, in, in, the, in the strongest way. It comes against religion, and it comes against a democratic republic, democratic thinking. Those two things it will utterly destroy. And if there's any uh, level of you holding on to religious thinking or democratic thinking, you will have a hard time receiving the kingdom of God. And so we did Uh, what was called kingdom campaigns or kingdom crusades or something along those lines. And we did them, I think it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So we were in church. This was every month, the third week of the month, Wednesday night. Then Thursday, Friday, Saturday was kingdom campaign. Then we were back Sunday morning. We did that for over 18 months. 18 months we did those. Why? Because it was a retraining that had to take place, a rethinking, a renewing to get back to God's original intent. And even myself having been in church, uh, even myself having been gone through a, a phenomenal Bible school, uh, sitting up under that teaching for already at that time five years under Pastor Earl and Marcy, uh, honestly, I was probably one of the, the, the greatest risks of not receiving the kingdom. Religion wants nothing to do with the kingdom. Religion wants nothing to do with the kingdom. Religion is the devil's alternative. It's his counterfeit to the kingdom. It's to let you think you've attained something when you really haven't. But then in October, another individual came to town and ministered along the same lines, and he helped me out when he he took us to the the new wine and and the new wineskins. And he said, Many people, when they hear the kingdom, are trying to take the new wine of the kingdom and they're trying to put it in the old wineskin of their thinking. And that's what I was trying to do. I wasn't mad. I wasn't thinking he was a heretic or go. I was like, God, you know, honestly, I was just more upset of why have I never seen this before? Where is this in Scripture? And you can't deny it. It's all over the place. It's all that Jesus talked about was the kingdom, the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like this, and the kingdom of God is like that. But he made his statement. He says, the kingdom is not the wine. The kingdom is the wine skin. And everything you've learned, everything you know, every subject you've ever covered goes in the kingdom, not the other way around. See, if you try to make the kingdom fit in what you already know about church, it won't work. You'll lose both the wine and the wine skin, Jesus said. But if you understand that every, every topic, every subject, everything you've ever understood or maybe had a hard time understanding goes in the kingdom of God, then the kingdom of God makes everything clearer. You miss the forest for the trees, but when you can zoom out and get the big picture, now you can see that the, the kingdom was everything that God was trying to do from beginning to end. And so knowing this, We know that we have to take special opportunities outside of a Sunday morning, outside of a midweek, outside of a class, outside of you've got to get yourself out of regular routine. You've got to get yourself out of regular, typical uh, uh, course of life to get yourself in a place to receive something because this is the one message the enemy does not want to get out. Look at it in Matthew chapter uh, 13 with the parable of the sower. When he heard the word of the kingdom, the sower comes immediately to steal. You know, not every message that's preached on Sunday, the enemy's after. Some of the messages he's okay with. We were just talking about that today at... Right before lunch, Pastor Daryl and I said, you know, some messages that are being preached on Sundays actually make people more of an advocate for Satan than God. How? Because you are receiving something that has a delay in it. You're receiving a message or, or communicating a message that, well, when I get there one day, then people of the world look at people in the church and say, well, then how's your life any different than mine? Your marriage is just as broken as mine. Your body's just as sick as mine? Your finances are in the tank just as much as mine? Your business is going with the ups and downs and the ebbs and flows of the economy just as much as mine? You walk in hatred towards your brother and sister just as much as we do? Why should I get into, why why should I want anything to do with your Christianity? But the kingdom alters everything. The kingdom shakes everything and it's unshakable. It's immovable. Amen. And so we're bringing you a, a, a word in a kingdom that is different. So you have to set your heart differently for these services. If you're just looking for a couple of songs and then, you know, a, a good 45, 50-minute message, and then we dismiss, and, and, and there, there are no rules for Kingdom Rise, I'm telling you right now. The, there, the only rule that we have is when it goes up on the screen and says, pick up your children, you go pick up your children. Because there are faithful, dedicated, committed team members serving your children and serving you, not babysitting, They're ministry. But they may need to be released at a certain time and you go get your kids and then you come right back in here, period. That's not a dismissal for you to leave. That's just go retrieve your kids so our team members, if they need to leave, they're not held down to a obligation or responsibility that they have back there. Amen. Other than that, there's no rules. There's no time limits. There's no, you, we need to be entering in. You need to be engaging. You come in the mornings ready to go. There's no worship kicking us off. They're going to teach the word and you're. we're going to get right into it. Get your espresso shot on the way in because Pastor Marcus won't be doing it. Amen. The word is going to get ministered. The word's going to be taught. The word is going to be delivered. And your spirits are hungry for this. Man, I'm telling you, as much as it goes against your flesh, as much as it goes against your natural thinking, just know on the inside, your spirit is saying, yes, this is it. This is what it's all about. So get hungry. Amen. Well, it wouldn't be kingdom rise if we didn't start in Genesis chapter one. So go with me to Genesis chapter 1. Today, or this evening, I want to minister, and I was overhearing Pastor Darrell in a conversation with Pastor Earl back in the back room there, and I I perked up, I said, are you talking about what you're ministering on? He said, yeah. I said, it sounds a lot like what I'm talking about. He says, well, that's all right. You preach yours, I'll preach mine, and I'll clean up your stuff, so... That's the great thing about going first. I got plenty of individuals that can come in and they can clean up any mess I make. Amen. What I love about Kingdom Rising, it's happened almost every single time, I believe, is there's just, it ends up being a theme. We don't talk about this beforehand. The only theme we have is we're ministering on the kingdom of God. Your identity, your purpose, who you are in Christ, what you're called to do, what the the church arising to Matthew chapter 16, binding and loosing, ushering in the the kingdom of heaven on earth now, not waiting to get somewhere, but bringing it here now. That's the thing. That's the premise. That's all we discuss. Outside of that, we don't have a a, a specific thing. But where I am feeling led tonight to to get us started is um, I want to speak along the lines of kingdom alignment. Kingdom alignment. Um, God honors order. And if it's one word that you could use to speak to our culture today, and a lot of what we're seeing would be the word disorder, which is out of alignment. And in no place in Scripture will you find that the kingdom of God operates with any kind of chaos. With any kind of, let's throw it all together at the last minute. let throw it against the wall and see what sticks. There is an order. And there has been a brokenness in order, not just in the world, in the church. There is a, a high disregard today of order. We don't want order. We don't want any kind of level of chain of command, answering to, responding to. One speaks, we simply follow with no questions asked. That that, that kind of thought process has gone by the wayside today. We're about one generation from just complete anarchy and just no level of respect, honor, or regarding of high value, any level of of parenthood, any level of authority, it, it, whether it's police, whether it's military, whether it's government, whether wh- whether it's parents, uh, uh, any level, teachers, principals, and now in the church, even pastors and teachers and prophets, and we even say goofy things like some of them have been done away with, with the fivefold ministry gifts in an attempt to create a disorder. But in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God sets an order in motion pretty quick. 26 verses into the Bible. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. Everyone say dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. In this one verse, we know he goes on to to read in verse uh, 28 that he made man in his image. He he followed through with the plan to make man. And in in, in these two, three verses right here, 126, 27, and 28, we see order established. There's a God in heaven that has extended himself from an invisible realm to a visible realm. And he's extended himself from an invisible God to a visible man. And man is to rule on the earth just as God rules and dominates in heaven. And God simply puts it this way. I'm not going to intervene in the affairs of the earth without going through mankind. From this moment on, he has established an order that not even God himself will break. Did you know that when you pray and you ask God to do something for you that he has given you the authority and domin- you're asking him to break his order of how he operates? You're basically telling God, your order's not good enough. I need you to break out of that order instead of requiring me and expecting me to do what you've called me to do and assigned me to do. You, I, I need you to do it for me. And God will not do it. When he needed a sea parted, he called a Moses. When he needed a Goliath slayed, he called a David. When he needed the walls of Jericho to come down, he called a Joshua to lead the Israelite army around and to follow orders even when the orders didn't make sense. Building an ark when there's never been rain. We learned about Esther this morning. Sending in a a, a Jewish woman to be the new queen of uh, of a nation where someone is trying to kill Jews. That's not order uh, 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 that man would put in place. But this is how God works. Even when he needed to redeem mankind, he still needed a man. Problem was, man couldn't do it. But God said, you know what? I've already established an order, and I cannot break the order. God doesn't just not break promises. He doesn't break order. He won't break chain of command. He won't come out of alignment of his word. When he speaks, his word becomes the law. It becomes the order by which we follow. And his order works every time. His order works if you'll keep things in order. Right? Certain things are not done between a man and a woman prior to marriage. Why? There's a covenant order established. A man is to be with a woman, man, men are not with men, and women aren't with women. See, every, all these things that are being challenged and questioned, it's not just challenging and questioning the principle, it's challenging and questioning the order. It's trying to create, it's trying to foster within you a tolerance for disorder. A tolerance for things that that don't make sense, but they want they want it to make sense. And make you look like the dumb one for just simply following the order that's in place. Things are so backwards today. Why? Because the order is trying to get disrupted. The order is trying to get disrupted. God does things in order. God never does things out of order. And if he can't find someone that will do it in order, then he will move on to someone that will do it in order. He told that to Abraham. He told that to Moses. He said, at one point, he told Moses, he said, you know, get out of the way. I'll smoke them all. If they won't follow my order, I'll find someone that will. It's that simple. God has an order. God has a system. Now, religious Christians want to try to tell us that, uh, the, the legal systems are really at the heart of God no at the heart of God is our uh, obedience and our following out of love because of because he is the king not out of simple compliance but out of heart obedience And so now we have uh, you know ways in the church where, we don't have to keep the order of the word because there's grace. They think grace is God uh, stepping back on His order. They think mercy. See, it's very dangerous to confuse uh, mercy as tol- mercy as tolerance. We think because God is delayed in. Punishment delayed in carrying out a sentence that that he has now changed his mind on the matter. It's a dangerous way to live. It's a dangerous way to operate as a believer. To ever think that God doesn't follow the order in his word, to ever think that any of his word and any of his law, he has stepped back on and now all of a sudden given room, that we, won't, that we are not responsible for carrying out and following the law. That is a dangerous way to live the Christian life. And so in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, how has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day You eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Verse 11. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you to not eat? Because if you go back to Genesis chapter, three, chapter 2, God gives Adam and Eve several responsibilities several assignments, such as guarding and protecting. Uh, Naming the animals was one of those assignments. You notice that all of a sudden, Adam and Eve have work to do after the creation and after the assigning of you will have dominion in the earth. Why? Because now God has to go through Adam and Eve. God can't name the animals because he's already put things in order. I would submit to you that if God had created man on any day earlier, he would have finished creation. That's the level of power and authority that God gave to man. Well, amongst those responsibilities and amongst those assignments, he also gave a command. We all know what that command was. Do not eat of the tree of the garden. For the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And so right here, God knows. Verse 11, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Now, what's interesting is all of the kingdom, all of this power, all of this authority, all of God's plan, honestly, all of this book and what it's, designed, it's destined to to prove God's plan from the beginning of time, ruling and reigning on the earth, managing, bringing heaven to earth, making this environment look like that. All of it hinges on one thing, man's cooperation. It all hinges on one thing, free will. Now, that's an interesting, that's a really interesting thing to give to someone that has the the capacity and the power that they possess. It all hinges on Adam and Eve remaining in alignment with the order that God has established. That's a very powerful thing to give to someone that has that much power and that much authority in the earth that they could lose it the moment that they disobey. The most dangerous word in the kingdom is independence. He, the, the, Satan did not tempt Adam and Eve with fruit. He tempted them with self-rule. He tempted them with the ability to make a decision outside of the order of God's plan. That's a really powerful, you know, I, if I'm the creator of the universe and I'm putting this plan together, you know, I mean, we've all asked the question, you know, it, 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 why, why do we have free will if, if God wanted this plan? Because that's how you and I think. You and I think, well, if you want someone to do what, they're, what, what you're telling them to do and what you're instructing them to do and to fulfill the plan, the last thing you want to give them is their own free will to decide not to do what you're telling them to do. That's pretty important. I'm giving you access to my entire kingdom. And I'm putting it within your boundaries, within your, your, your care, within your hands. You're going to have dominion over all this that I've spent the previous five days creating. And I have this whole great plan that my kingdom is going to extend from here to here. And I'm going to put you there and you're going to manage and you're going to have dominion and you're going to rule and you're going to everything's going to be under your subjection. But it all hinges on this one thing. You've got to do things exactly the way I've told you to. And God expected them to live this way in obedience in line with their order. Without having a Bible, without a local church to go to, without a pastor overseeing and watching over their souls, y'all with me? The expectation was simply what? Obey. I've given you a command. I've given you assignments. I've given you a territory, I've given you a, you've you've got all the makeup, all the elements of a kingdom that you need. A kingdom is a king's domain. It's the territory within which a king rules. They've got it all. They've got the backing of the home nation. They don't need anything. Everything that they'll ever need is going to be supplied from the home nation as long as what? They obey. And they're in authority. And they're in power. And whatever they say, as long as it's in line with the authority of heaven, happens in this realm. Whatever they command happens in this realm. Whatever they, they've been given the assignment to guard and protect. I'm not, you know, you've heard us say it before, but it just bears repeating. Satan is not the problem. Satan has never been God's problem. Satan, it's not even a match, guys. It's not even a, 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 a it's the it's most unfair fight in all of humanity. That there's, there's no God warring with Satan. I mean, in, in an instant, he casts him out of heaven to, like lightning, Jesus said. He said, Look, I've seen this thing on display. You don't want to get on that side of God like lightning. God can take care of Satan, no problem. That's not the issue. There's another word that is the greatest issue. That must be dealt with. We can talk about kingdom authority all we want. We can talk about kingdom power all we want. We can talk about laying hands on the sick and see them recover all we want. And those things we get excited about. And maybe you came to this Kingdom Rise conference thinking we're going to talk more about signs, wonders, and miracles. And maybe we will. You, you might have come thinking we're going to talk about, you know, going out in the world and, and saving every broken, lost person we can find. Restoring hope and healing to the world. You may want to talk about those things. That's great. I'll let the other folks take care of that on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. But tonight we're going to talk about a different word that must be addressed because I believe it's the key while we're not seeing the signs, while we're not seeing the wonders, while we're not seeing the miracles, while we have grown complacent and settled for a Christianity that's far below what we know we are called to be. Why is there such a discrepancy between the book of Acts and today? And that word is rebellion. It's a hard word. But it's only hard because we have tolerated it to such a degree. Because here's the key. If you don't remain under authority, you cannot remain in authority. It is the the hinge that the kingdom swings on. As much of the kingdom as you want to see and operate in your life will hinge on the level of obedience or rebellion you tolerate in your life. I believe in these last days, along with the revival and the signs and the wonders and the miracles, I believe we're going to see a restoration of order in the kingdom, in the church. At the end of the day, I know this, and Ephesians 5 tells me, Paul says he's coming back for a spotless church, a holy church, a blameless church church without spot or wrinkle. And we've gotten to a place in in our culture and even in the church itself that that's almost an unthinkable, how, how could we really be spotless? But God hasn't changed his definition of spotless. God hasn't changed his definition of holy. God hasn't changed his definition to, well, if you get it right every once in a while, there will be a restoration of holiness, a restoration of purity, a restoration of kingdom alignment as we saw in the first two chapters of the Bible. Now, before you think we're getting religious and legalistic, i am just go ahead and tell you right now, we are here to destroy every religious and legalistic wall that's ever been created and ever can be created. The kingdom will decimate all religions. And in this town, there's already plenty of it. I don't need to add to that. I'm not giving you more religious practice. I'm not giving you more legalistic rules to follow. But that's where people want to go when we start talking about systems and order and obedience and uh, being faithful to his word and living by his word and living a sin-free life and being pure and being holy. And, And the enemy has made us fearful of even just speaking words like holy and sin. In the church environment. But religion has no place in the kingdom of God. We had someone, uh, you know, I don't know, message or something, I don't know what it was, saying that uh, it posted something about we are a church that has women pastors. You're just thinking, well, if you're locking up on that one, Don't even bother turning down the drive. If you're locked up there, we're going to blow past a lot of your religious mile markers real quick. (laughs) If you're still stuck on that one, you better believe we do because there are gifts inside. It does not matter the gender and it does not matter the house. There's a gift on the inside. And man, if a female can give birth to Jesus, you better believe they can get in a pulpit and deliver a word. And maybe you might listen to a few of them and it might set you straight. Amen. No, religion's not going to have a place. And those are the exact things we're coming after. We're coming after that garbage because we don't have time for that. Those are games and dangerous thinking that's keeping people confined and not being able to live up and be all that God has called them to be. Okay, just throw that plug out there. We do have women pastors, and we do have women Bible teachers, and they do a phenomenal job. They are anointed, and we thank God for them. Amen? We sure do. The most dangerous word in the kingdom is independence. Independence leads us to the second most dangerous word in the kingdom, it's rebellion. An independent thought life outside of God's kingdom will never lead you into obedience. Will never lead you into right living. Will never lead you into God's order. Will never align you. Uh, The Bible actually tells us in Romans chapter 8, I believe it's verse 5, it says that the natural mind is hostile to God and its laws. And in fact, it can never be subjected to God's laws. If you think you can do it without renewing the mind and without renewing your spirit, that's a wild goose chase. You'll never never be able to measure. You'll never be able to meet God's alignment. You'll never be able to meet kingdom alignment outside of what we're going to talk about tonight. But this issue with rebellion is possibly... The reason why we're not seeing the miracles, signs, and wonders. Oh, we ask those questions all the time, don't we? But why don't we talk about the condition of the heart of the one trying to perform the miracle, the sign, and the wonder? Just a question. Just a question. Where are we at with this matter of rebellion? Now rebellion is just simply being out of alignment with the governing authority. We've all heard the definitions of sin: missing the mark, right? Uh, uh, sin is disobeying the word of the king. At, at its at its truest form, at its simplest uh, form, it's disobedience to the word of the king. It's being Simply out of alignment. And God gave mankind a free will that he knew. They actually, they possess the one thing that can make this plan work perfectly, but they also possess the one thing that could throw all this away. But yet he still gave it to you and I. He still gave it to Adam and Eve. And here in Genesis chapter 3, they operated rather, in, rather than operating in the authority that could have cast Satan out of the garden. See, God didn't need to do anything about Satan. He didn't even warn them about Satan. In fact, I would submit this to you, that nothing ever needed to be done with Satan. If Adam and Eve, had simply obeyed the word, do not eat of the fruit of the tree. Show me what the devil could have done to them had they stayed in alignment with the word of God, with the order, he couldn't touch them. He couldn't touch them. But today, people can't tolerate a conversation of, well, you know what? Maybe we're going through some things. Now, we learned this morning, tests and trials will come, period. Jesus was sent into a wilderness, but he wasn't sent in the wilderness to be subjected to the devil. He was sent in the the, the wilderness to overcome the devil. Sometimes God will send you into a test and a trial, not for your punishment, but for the devil's. So you can enact your authority on him and defeat him and prove to him once and again, this is my kingdom citizen, this is my royal child, this is my bloodline, and he has just as much power to overthrow you as I do. But what about the ones that come because there's something out of alignment? What about the tests that come that we find ourselves in because there's sin in the camp? I mean, I'm already losing people. It's the stuff that we don't like to talk about. We want to hear about how do we we lay hands on the sick and see them recover? How how do we see these miracles, signs and wonders like in Jesus' day? You know what? Jesus submitted himself to the word of God. Jesus never once said, uh, you know what? Uh, I'm going to do things as I ought to. I'm the son of God. I've got the anointing on my life. It'll still take place. You know, because Samson made it happen even though he was out of alignment, right? Using the anointing for his own personal benefit. No, not one time. In fact, he even in the garden in his darkest hour said, if there's any way this cup can pass for me. But he said, the only way the provision of your purpose and of your assignment is going to be fulfilled is, is if I remain in alignment with the king's authority, the king's plan. There was not one instance of rebellion In Jesus' life. Not one instance did he ever uh, get out of alignment and have to come back and repent. And have to come back and get things right. And come back and and just constant, this this back and forth. I keep blowing it, got to come back. Keep blowing it. I'm telling you right now, we're going to set people free. We're going to see people set free. Know that. It's not by our power. It's not by what we can do. But we do need to address it on the level that it needs to be addressed. Rebellion is the exercise of power without authority. Rebellion is the exercise of power without authority. It's not that you don't have the power all of a sudden. It's that you don't have the authority to exercise that level of power. You know, a police officer has a badge, and he also carries a weapon, and the badge gives him the authority to use the power. You have a weapon, you probably have a license to carry the weapon. That gives you the authority to use the power the weapon is the power but you need the authority because just because you have the power doesn't mean you can use the power Jesus even says there's going to be people that are going to uh, call on the name of the Lord and he's going to say depart from me I never knew you you are operating in power but you weren't operating under my authority you weren't going in my name you might even try to use my name don't be rebellious Don't don't live out of alignment with God's word and God's plan. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. I love how the Passion reads. It says, you can rationalize it all you want and justify the path of error you have chosen but you'll find out in the end that you took the road to destruction. (laughs) So we got to deal with another key in Genesis chapter 3. Rebellion, a lot of times, is the result of deception. It looked good. It looked like the right thing to do. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 said that the, the, uh, the serpent was the most cunning beast in all the field. Meaning that he didn't just come with the blatant outright, here's what God said, here's what I think you should do, disobey him, disregard him, this will bring you out of kingdom alignment. No, he deceived Adam and Eve. But there's also another clue in there that you'll find where Eve didn't rightly know the word. And Eve wasn't around when the command was given, do not eat of the fruit of the tree, which meant it was up to Adam to carry down the command to Eve. Hello? What's that? Order. An order was established. God didn't need to repeat himself to Eve. He gave it to Adam. Adam gives it to Eve. But apparently there was a, a loss in communication somewhere. And so Eve says, we've been commanded not to eat of it nor shall we touch it. That wasn't part of the original command. But what does it reveal? If I, if I don't know the word, I can be opened up to, become easily uh, vulnerable to deception. So you, weren't, you didn't think that. You thought you were just reading a, a Bible a daily Bible reading plan and checking boxes and getting to Scripture when you could and pulling up the verse. But you didn't realize that the level of deception that you're making yourself vulnerable to is attached to the level of the word that you're in. Because the level of thought and study that you give to the word is the level of, of resistance that you can oppose the word of the enemy. See, there's there's two voices. There's two words. And whichever one becomes familiar, whichever one you become more acquainted with, whichever one you know. The reason why you believe the doctor's report over God's report is because you've studied the doctor's report. You do your, your daily reading plan of the doctor's report. And the diagnosis and what's going on and and the prognosis and how it could turn out and and what's going to happen and how long you have to live. and No, are we going back to the word? But which one's more real to you? No, he says there's a way that seems right to a man. You know, the devil didn't steal the kingdom from Adam and Eve. They handed it over. You know when you, we, we've probably all said it at some point in our lives, and we've heard plenty of people say it. You know, the devil made me do it. The devil can't make you do it any more than God can make you do it. And if you believe the devil made you do it, then what you're saying is is God uh, the devil is more powerful than God. <laughs> that he possesses a power that God doesn't have. No, they handed it rightfully over through deception leading to rebellion and now they're out of alignment and that being out of alignment completely affected and altered the plan that God had in place originally and the whole Old Testament is is man trying to get back in alignment but on his own terms is man trying to get back and, and, and trying to, to, to get back to God's plan and get back to God's system. And, and, and then the, uh, um, uh, you, you just see this complete uh, depravity of mankind. It just, you know, we're, we're just tanking on this thing. We're not seeing any growth. We're not seeing any increase. We're not seeing any advancement. We're further away at the end of the Old Testament than we even were in the beginning. And it all hinged on free will. It all hinged on a choice. Am I going to obey this word or am I going to align myself with that word? It seems right. Looks right. But it's not. So in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 verse 18. We know Jesus comes, Jesus comes, dies on the cross, gives his life, gives us what we could not earn, what we could not get on our own. He rises again, ascends to heaven, and then he makes a statement just before he ascends to heaven. He says in verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Well, Adam and Eve had all authority on the earth. So look what he says in verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples. What did God do in Genesis chapter 1? Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, Jesus is giving us, in one sense, the same instruction of making disciples. Now, again, God didn't make man in the sense that he made man to do anything. Man has free choice. Guess what? You and I are called to make disciples, but we can't make people follow Christ, right? We just give them the option. Guess what? They still have the free choice choice. But now we have this issue of we've actually changed that word from disciples to converts because it helps our numbers. It makes our success rate look a little better. (laughs) Well, all you've done is you've made someone that, that, that says one thing but does another. All you've done is just create more disorder. All we've done is contribute to the chaos. All we've done is contribute to the misalignment and things are out of alignment. And God's saying, no, 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 I need disciples that are in alignment. Because the, the word disciple literally means this, learner, follower. Learner, follower. That's literally what the word disciple means. It means to be a student, a pupil. One that adheres to the values, the beliefs, the thoughts, the motives, the intents of another. When you say you are a disciple of something, you have learned their ways. You have followed them in everything they do, I do. Every step they take, I take. I don't go where they don't go. I don't say what they don't say. I don't do what they don't do. What did Jesus do? Jesus did what the Father told him to do. He said what the Father told him to say. He went where the Father told him to go. And now he's saying, I need you to go and make disciples, not church goers, pew sitters, hand raisers, song singers. Come on, bumper sticker wearing, refrigerator magnet. No, we are making learners and followers. I've been flipped off by many a Christian bumper sticker aware wearing vehicles, and I know you have too. And maybe you are one of them, and that's okay. There's forgiveness. We're going to deal with all that. What makes you a follower? What makes you a learner? what makes you a student it's the alignment of your will with his what does matthew 633 say seek ye first how when first not second not halfway Not seek ye when I've tried everything else out. Seek ye first. Seek ye first what? No, there's more to it. No. Let's try that again. Seek ye first the and. Are they helping you out up there? Look, they they even gave you the answers, guys. They put it right up there for you. They're helping you out. Seek ye first the what? And. Everyone say, and, and, and. That's a conjunction. That's connecting two things. Notice that the kingdom is connected with righteousness. God never meant for his kingdom to be gained without right standards, right living, right alignment with the governing authority. You can't come into the kingdom and continue to live out of alignment. They're connected. I mean, I've I've noticed, and maybe this is just you know, me just being super analytical and methodical and, and looking too deep into things. but I've noticed now when people quote this verse, they say this, uh, "But Matthew 6:33 says, "Seek ye first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you." Y'all heard it? Now maybe they're just wanting to shorten it up. I can believe the best. I'm not accusing. But I I think it might be time that we keep the and his righteousness back in the verse. I think it might be, uh, 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 I think we might be at a time, you know what? Let's just make sure and be intentional we're leaving the and his righteousness in there. Because there's a lot of unrighteousness, and I don't want to reinforce a thought or continue to allow people to think that we get his kingdom and things are added without and his righteousness, now, what is righteousness? Righteousness is simply right alignment with the governing authority. Kingdom alignment. It just simply means to be in right standing. Rebellion is out of alignment. And, and, and notice what it says and all these things shall be added to you. You know, when we talk about obedience, you know, Romans chapter 12, let's put that up there real quick. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Where is it in my notes? Y'all doing all right? Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What? Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Many times when we talk about obedience, when we talk about um, um, aligning our will with the Father's, well, you know what's going to happen? To align with His, you're going to have to sacrifice yours. You've got to lay down yours. Jesus said to be a disciple, you've got to what? Take up My cross, take up your cross and follow me. There's a taking up of the cross. And so typically when we talk about obedience, we talk about what we have to lay down. We talk about what we have to sacrifice. We talk about the things we have to cut off all the things that you think you enjoy. I can't listen to this, and I can't watch that, and I can't hang out with this person, and I can't drink that anymore, and I can't smoke that anymore, and I can't do that anymore. Uh, but here's the thing. When he presented, seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, he didn't talk about what needed to be taken away. He talked about what would be added to. You would actually find that the, what you gain in obedience far outweighs what you give up in obedience. If you only knew what you could access here by letting go of this over here, you would let that go in a heartbeat because what you thought alcohol could do, you don't know what the kingdom can do. What living in peer could do, you don't know what right living could do. What smoking that and hanging out with that and watching that could do, you don't know what it could do for you in the kingdom of God. You don't even know. He says it'll be added. You won't even have to chase it, search it find it, hunt it, run after it, it'll come running you down. That's the kingdom of God. Obedience is always worth it. And the price that you will pay in disobedience far outweighs the price you'll pay in obedience. What you will lose in disobedience far outweighs what you could give up in obedience, right, living. It's time to raise a standard. I ministered a message. I think it was that last or uh, the the was it last year's Kingdom Rise? We did it in Saint Augustine in April and in our church last year, right? Twice in one year. Minister on the criteria of kings, which I still have yet to write the book on. So, you can rag me about that later. And I made a statement. I said, it's impossible to have high standards with low values until we honor and value the things that God honors and values. We won't see the standard of living, the standard of miracles, the standard of purpose, the standard of destiny being fulfilled in our lives. Guys, it's time to stop thinking that we're the weird ones by chasing God with all that we have. Living for him with all that we have. We, 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 we had a conversation with an individual just recently, just a few weeks ago. And they told us, they said, I'm in a place, I just want to go after God with everything I have. With all abandon." I don't want anything. There, there was a season that I was running, but I wasn't really going after God with everything. I'm at a point right now, I just want to give him everything. I just want to be under the word as much as I can. I want to, I want to honor his word as much as I can. I want to be in the word as much as I can. I want to surround myself with people that are going the places that I'm going. It's time to, to raise a standard of righteousness and right living in the church once again. It's amazing we have to tell church people that. But you'll find that the world's not ever going to keep a level or a standard of living that we're not keeping. And, uh, you know, we were talking about that today at lunch, too. When you have wicked people saying, ah, I don't know, that's crossing the line. That's, that's a bit too far. That, that lets you know how wicked the world's getting. We were just talking about that. There's actually been vocal liberals that have spoken up against abortion, or uh, in, in, in favor um, against abortion, uh, against those that are calling for the the, the ending of, of life before birth. I mean, that ought to tell you something. When even wicked people that have, don't care anything about God, don't care anything about his values, but still look at it and say, man, that's, that's you're going overboard there. But yet there's people in the church that will fight for abortion. And they voted for those policies. I didn't say the person. I said the policies. So you got your eyes on a man that's standing behind a podium arguing with someone else across the way. But it's what policies are they standing for that we're getting ready to have this this country governed by and ruled by for the next four years. It's the stuff we got to be thinking about. So the church has got to raise the standard. The church has got to raise the standard. Hebrews chapter five. Let's wind this up, or wind it down, or I don't, (laughs) whichever one means let's shut this thing down. Wind it up sounds like maybe we're just getting started. I don't want to give you the wrong. Maybe we get it wound up. We'll see where we go. Hebrews chapter five, verse 11. Of whom we have much to say, it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. The word of righteousness. But maturity in the body of Christ has become optional. And he says, you don't even have a capacity to understand the word of righteousness as an immature newborn babe. He says, we we need to develop and grow and become mature just so we can understand right from wrong. He says the elementary principles, guys. Solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, watch this, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Did you know that you need to have your senses exercised to discern the basic good versus evil, right? We think that as a a two-year-old, you should be able to gather the concept of good versus bad, right versus wrong, right? Not in the world we live in today. You think maybe the writer of the Word of God, not just God himself, but the writer of this book had an idea it's going to get to a place so crazy, so chaotic, so out of order that up will be called down, and down will be called up. And you think you're going to figure the two out by being a good person. You think you're going to figure the difference out by saying a prayer and hoping you go to heaven one day. No, 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 no. You've got to discern between good and evil. Eve in Genesis chapter 3 needed to discern This serpent is cunning. This serpent is deceptive. This serpent is the trickiest beast in all of the field. Maybe he's not out for my best interest. Maybe what he's telling me is actually a flat-out lie. But when discernment is low, deception is high. Discernment is the antidote to deception. Discernment is how you fight deception. I watch believers day in and day out lose the battle of deception. Lose the battle, not blatantly knowing I'm doing wrong, thinking they're doing right. And those are the hardest conversations because you strain with everything in you saying, oh, if you could only know, only if you could only see. But then you recognize I'm talking to someone that's never put their senses in the gym. To exercise their senses, to discern by practice, by use, the scripture says. I can't help you there. That'd be like trying to take someone that's never lifted 135 and put them on a bench and give them 250 and say, all right, lift it. It, It's not going to happen. They haven't exercised to be able to contain that weight. So I just have to pray by the revelation of the Holy Spirit that he'll see through and say, okay, we've got some training to do. We've got some work to do. Because I can explain it till I'm blue in the face and it will not make sense to them. They've broken the order. You open yourself up to deception and rebellion is right there waiting for you. If deception is the first step, rebellion is the second. In the Amplified, it says in verse 14, the solid food is for full-grown men, for those whose senses and mental faculties are trained by practice to discriminate and distinguish between what is morally good and noble, and what is evil and contrary either to, defi- to divine or human law. The passion in, the verse 14, in verse 14 says, Solid food is for the mature whose spiritual senses perceive heavenly matters. They have been adequately trained by what they've experienced to emerge with understanding of the difference between what is truly excellent and what is evil and harmful. Worship team, if you come. There's a restoration of order that's going to take place in these last days. You can cry out for revival all you want. You know, I think revival will come when we learn that revival is God's normal way of doing business. I don't think revival is really that difficult. I don't think revival is really the problem. And that would be just like religion to rely on something else. Well, until revival hits, we won't see that. You know what? We need to take personal responsibility for the domain that we have been given charge over, rule over, and operate in our authority. But if we're trying to operate in authority without remaining submitted to authority, you know, I find it so interesting in that story in Matthew chapter 8 with the Roman centurion that confronts Jesus. Jesus said, I'll come heal him in Romans centurion. He said, no, you don't even got to do that. Just speak the word. Because here's what I've noticed about you. And if you look at the passage, he makes this statement. Go read it, Romans chapter eight, or uh, Matthew chapter eight. He says, this is what I've noticed about you. You are a man under authority. Now, if you are going to highlight the fact that someone has the power and the capacity to speak a word and things change, you would probably highlight the fact that they're in authority. But that's not what he said. He said, I've noticed you're a man like me under authority because the Roman centurion understood what most people don't understand. The only way you can be in is if you're under. The only way things listen when you speak is because you listen when he speaks. I don't know what you're submitted to. I don't know what you're under, but you're under something. You're submitted to something that allows you that when your words go forth, they change things. Because when I give my servant a command to go here, he goes. When I give my servant a command to do this, he does it. When I give my command uh, for a servant to come here, he comes. It's it's really a, a simple system. God's not complicated. God's not made this hard. But yet all of kingdom authority, all of kingdom power hinges on, are you submitted? Are you under the authority? I know we want to talk about the fact that we're in authority. But King Saul had a kingdom ripped from him because he would not remain under authority. The prophet Samuel looked him in the eyes and said, this day the kingdom has been torn from you because God has found a man after his own heart. Because Romans chapter 12 goes on to say, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's repentance. Repentance is for the purpose of aligning your life with the kingdom of God. No wonder it's the first words that Jesus gave when he started ministry. Repent. For what? The kingdom. Repent. For what? The kingdom is at hand. Repent. For what? You can't even receive the kingdom unless you are willing to turn completely from the direction you're going. Repentance means to change your thinking. What's that mean? To align with the values of heaven once again. Let me tell you something God wants to see miracles, signs, and wonders in the church more than you do. He wants to see bodies healed, He wants to see marriages restored. He wants to to see the deliverance and the freedom more than you and I do. He listens to our cries for revival and he says, yep, I'm with you. But I'm looking for a church that will align with my values and my purpose once again. I'm looking for a people that will say, that's my God. And I'll serve him and I'll serve him alone. Looking for it. why did the miracle signs and wonders flow in the book of Acts? Because there was a submitted people, a submitted people that, that in, in, in every way, it says that if we'll renew our minds, we will prove His perfect, pleasing, acceptable will. We'll see his will unfold as a, as a byproduct rather than a goal. Oh, I believe we'll walk into days where signs, wonders, and miracles will be way easier than we ever thought they could be when we have a people that are rightly aligned with the governing authority. Would you stand with me? You know, the church, when it comes to repentance, we've even found a way to make that religious. If you come to the altar, if you cry hard enough, if you moan loud enough, if you have an emotional response, and not that those things in themselves... Are, 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 are wrong. But many times we're putting on a show and we think we're, God, we're moving God with our tears and moving God with our loud moaning and moving God with my, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But true repentance is what you do when you get back up off of that altar and you walk back out those doors. This is a moment of consecration. This is a moment of, of confrontation with the ways that are out of alignment and saying, no, I'm getting this in alignment how I've treated that person, how I've thought about that issue. In every way, we need to become proficient in repentance. Not just the broken crying. I'm talking quickly recognizing that's not in line with my king's values. I need to get that in alignment. Any direction that our ministers go this week. Any any teaching, any, any ministry time, any altar call, anything that's given this week, it hinges on this. Will you repent and align with the kingdom values once again? Guys, we can take all the notes we want. We can highlight all the verses we want. We can attend all the services, have perfect attendance, serve in every area of ministry, do all the Christian things. But if there's not an alignment in our hearts, it's activity without power. So I want this just to be a moment of consecration. You're looking inwardly. You're not the, you know, so many times when we talk about repentance, we think about someone else that needs to do repentance. No, this is your time. Look inward. Where do I need to come in alignment? It doesn't mean it has to be a big thing. But guys, I'm telling you right now, the addiction's are easy to break when you come into alignment with the king. It's easy to put the cigarettes down. It's easy to put the drinking down. It's easy to put the the improper living down. It's easy to put the the, the foul mouth down. It's easy to get rid of the sin. Sin is no problem. He he took care of it. It's already been taken care of in the past. 2,000 years ago, he took care of it. There's men and women in this room today that have overcome some of the most garbage ways to live. That's the easy part. What God wants to do in his church is going to come through a church that is fully submitted and fully aligned. Kingdom, alignment.